Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, May 6th, we are studying Acts chapter 5, verses 21b to 42. The Sanhedrin's threats against the apostles continue to grow, but they only provide more opportunities for the apostles to proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus for repentance and forgiveness. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Tim Stork. Pastor Stork serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield Township, Michigan. Pastor Stork, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. It's good to be here with you. As we get started, let's talk a little bit of context today. We're kind of picking up right in the middle of, of a story. So what do we need to know as we prepare to look at the verses we've got today? Yes, yeah, so... Um, as you mentioned, we pick up right in the middle of a story of the apostles getting arrested. Um, the high priest had risen up against them because he was filled with jealousy um, over the things that the apostles were doing, um, the word of God that they had been preaching in the temple. And plus, just before the beginning of our text, we find the apostles and the, and the disciples going about um, doing many signs and wonders, um, healing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. In fact, the fact that Peter could just go by and his shadow would fall upon some of them and they would be healed. And it's right at this point that we find the apostles being imprisoned for doing those works. Well, and, and they, they had just been released from prison as well at the very end, miraculously, yeah. but they're still, this is what, what strikes me, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday, but it really strikes me that they were put in prison for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Ultimately, that's what it boils down to. And mm-hmm. the Lord sends his angel to release them from prison, and he gives them the instruction, go do the very thing that got you put into prison in the first place. It's, it's just, I, that, that's contrast that's not maybe i would have expected but it's precisely what the lord does he wants you to keep proclaiming jesus even though it just got you put into prison keep doing it yes yeah i mean it's um it's the that message that god the father wants the disciples to continue to proclaim um that's been proclaimed since the beginning in genesis chapter 3 that jesus has come has died and risen again and that through him that that's where life comes from, is from Jesus himself. And so we see here that nothing is to stop them, whether it's the high priest or whether it's the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees or any of the other groups, that this is the message they are to continue to speak to the public. Mm. It's one of the things that strikes me about it is to see the the change that the spirit has brought about in the apostles. It wasn't that long ago. We had the second Sunday of Easter. When you read about, you know, for two weeks in a row on Easter evening, and then again, one week later, these apostles, they're locked by themselves because they're afraid that they're going to be next. 
here yeah. they've just been locked up by the people they were afraid of before and now that they're released what do they do? They go and, and do the very thing that they had been afraid to do before. And, and just to see the transformation that the spirit has worked in these men is so remarkable. And I, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised. They have prayed for it previously for this boldness. And here the mm-hmm. spirit is, is answering that prayer yet again. Yes. It reminds me of what my vicarage supervisor one time told me about, you know, that the transformation that comes about in faith and he used to describe it as you know the um work like getting turned on and that oftentimes um you know when that faith becomes evident and when that faith really becomes um i guess you could say more alive you know a lot of people will step out in faith and do things that maybe they haven't done in the past, including, you know, not allowing others to stop them from proclaiming the gospel. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what we're going to see the apostles begin to do yet again here in Acts chapter five. Again, we're picking up in the middle of verse 21 with the text. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, They called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I'll pause there. That takes us through verse 32 of the text. Now, Pastor Stork, as the text begins, the the chief priest, the council, all these people, they're going to go about the business that they need to. Maybe just to, before we get too far into that, remind us who these players are. Who who are we talking about that's going to be investigating what's going on among the apostles? So the first group that seems to be really involved in um taking a look at the the apostles and what they're doing, of course, is the Sadducees. Um, they were a probably the largest majority of the the leaders of the Sanhedrin, um, which basically was was the ruling group um, over the Israelite people. We know that the Sadducees were um, agreed oftentimes with the Romans um, to keep the peace amongst their people that many of them were wealthy, including the chief priest and the high priest. Um, We're also reminded that they were the ones who denied many of the scriptures. Um, They denied the resurrection, which would totally make sense here with them trying to get the disciples to stop preaching. 
Um, they denied certain parts of the spiritual world and the, the afterlife as well. Um, amongst this group, we also find the, the high priest um, who would be leading the, the Sadducees and, and the Sanhedrin um, in regards to bringing about the case against the disciples. Um, and then, of course, we'll see here in just a little bit Gamaliel as well from the Pharisees, too. Yes. Yeah. He, he becomes important as the as the text continues beyond what we've read so far. So we've got the, the players here. They're getting ready to have a, a trial of sorts, you know, to investigate what's happened, to question the apostles. And verses 22 oh, through about verse 26 or so almost read like a comedy of errors. I, I find it, it humorous. Just, you know, tell us what happens and then let's talk maybe about why this is significant. Yeah. So the, the officers of the prison um, within the temple grounds come to find, you know, they're expecting to find the apostles in the prison that they had put them in the day before. And they go to retrieve them. And when they head to the prison, they find out that the apostles are gone. The prison is still locked. The guards are still there, but nobody's inside. Um, (laughs) These men are all gone. (laughs) Yeah. Where'd they go? And I, and I love how the, the translator of the ESV puts it, you know, they're greatly perplexed. (laughs) It's like, wait, how did these guys even get out? You know, everything is still locked. The guard is still present and they're nowhere to be found. What are we supposed to do? That's right. <laughs> and and then of course they get they find the news, which I think had to perplex them all the more. Oh look, uh-huh. they're, they're they're now preaching and teaching, it, and that's kind of what you told them not to do, you know. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Um, you know the 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 very men that you guys put in prison the day before, they're back out in the temple and they're teaching the people the same thing that you told them not to teach before. Mm. It's 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 very remarkable, and, and I'm I'm laughing, and I, I know you are too. And I I think you know I think that that's actually the right reaction for a number of reasons. One, it it's funny. It is funny that this is just it's what happens. You know, I mean, I think yeah. it's funny, but but if I can be a little more theological about it too, it, the last time that this same group of people arrested the apostles or Peter and John in that case for mm-hmm. preaching Jesus. The response of the church was to pray, and they prayed based on Psalm 2. This was back in Acts chapter 4, and particularly in verses 25 and 26. They quote part of Psalm 2 in their prayer about you know the Gentiles raging and the peoples plotting in vain, the kings setting themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. And they asked as a part of that prayer, to, uh, this was Acts 4.29, they prayed, Lord, look upon their threats. And I think that that's precisely what's happening right here. And the reason I, I say that, and I bring up laughter in particular, is because, and I'm sure you know this, Pastor Stork, in, in Psalm 2, verse 4, the Lord's response to all these people setting themselves against him and against his anointed is that mm-hmm. he sits in heaven and he laughs. And yes. I, I think that's what's happening here, is that uh-huh. the Lord is laughing at their plotting <laughs> as if he they could do something against him. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I I used this psalm a few weeks ago for a, a Bible class, and you know it it makes me chuckle every time that I read that text from Psalm chapter two. You know, he who sits in the heavens laughs; the Lord holds them in 
derision, you know, that, that man tries everything that he can to thwart the work of God. Um, you know, the devil tries everything that he can to, to thwart the work of God. And, you know, the Lord is the one who still sits on his throne in heaven. He is the still, he is, you know, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And no matter all the things that the world, you know, tries, none of them are going to work. And so the Lord sits and, and basically laughs, you know, at, at all of the, the things that are tried to, to stop his work. Mm. Right. I mean, you know, you, you think that these prison bars are going to keep my servants from proclaiming my word. Well, I'll show you just how powerful your prison bars are. Here they are locked and nice and neat, but there's no one that they're holding. And and the yeah. word of the Lord is not bound, which this is going to be you know, this uh, that visual, I think, of locked prisons that are empty. That's a good picture for for much of the book of Acts, that no matter how the opponents of the church try to stop the word of the Lord. I think it's St. Paul who writes it this way in one of his epistles, that the word of the Lord is not bound and it cannot be bound. And and this this picture right here, which is humorous, is, is just mm-hmm. a perfect picture of that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the fact that they are all greatly perplexed and, um, you know, we, like you mentioned, we see throughout the book of Acts all these different times and opportunities that the the leaders of the people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are, are trying to shut down the preaching and shut down, you know, the work of the apostles and, you know, the others who come after them and everything they try ends up failing or at least, you know, being turned around like for with Stephen, for example, when he actually prays for them. So, yeah, yeah. And I think I mentioned, I'm recalling now a little bit of the conversation I had yesterday, too, the fact that a lot of this is happening around daybreak at the, the first half of 21. That's when the apostles mm-hmm. are going to the temple. It's at daybreak they began to, to teach. It's almost as if these prison cells give a picture of the Lord's resurrection again, that just as at daybreak on, on Easter, the tomb was found empty. There was no power to hold the risen Lord. Mm-hmm. So now these prison cells are found empty. They're, they have no power to hold the word of the risen Lord. Yeah. Um, and then again, the just like Jesus appeared to the apostles in the upper room, um, you know, the, yeah. the locked doors there weren't going to keep him out. That's right. Uh, you know, they thought that maybe the locked doors and windows would keep the the Sadducees and the, the high priest and their, you know, um, their guards out. But he couldn't stop Jesus. He, he still enters into their presence and, and proclaims his peace to them. Yeah. Yeah. Again, the, the risen Lord is the one who is at work here in the book of Acts. And, and even as it is the apostles that we see in, in the active role speaking, yet it is the Lord who is the one working through them. And certainly that's the case here. Now, there, there's one more verse that we get here in this comedy of errors. And again, I think significant to talk a little bit about verse 26 and the, the reaction when they realize what's happened. How do they respond? <laughs> well, Luke goes on to tell us, he says, then the captain with the officers went and, and brought them. But here's the critical line, I think, is, but not by force. Hmm. For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Hmm. Um, the fact that the, the captain with his guards, with his officers, realized that the preaching the apostles were doing in the temple amongst the people 
was actually met by, you know, at the best joy and, you know, um, awe in, in faith towards Jesus, at the very least, that there were people within that crowd who at least wanted to hear what the apostles had to say um, and didn't want to see them have their speech taken away. And so the captain and the officers basically realize that if they try to take the apostles by force, if they try to, you know, um, shackle them, drag or carry them out of the temple grounds um, to be taken before the council and the high priest is going to be met with a, a huge crowd of people that are going to be quite upset with them. And, and who knows, maybe it would have start, started a mass mob um, that the captain and the officers wouldn't have been able to deal with. Right. I mean, you know, previously in chapter five, Luke had reminded us that multitudes were being added to the number of the church. And mm-hmm. with, with these apostles now in the temple courts preaching openly, certainly there's some Christians who are already there and then likely others who are hearing the good news. And if nothing else, interested in finding out more, if not being brought to faith at that moment. And so, yeah, the, the captain recognizes this and, and knows that he can't just... And it wouldn't have been handcuffs, but but slap a pair of handcuffs on them or however you would have physically detained yeah. them. He knows that's not an option. And, but and what's I mean, I suppose that what makes it even more striking then is that the apostles actually go with him. You know, they're they're not unwilling to go with him. They actually go so that they can give further testimony again that. You know, the just the change that the Holy Spirit has worked in these men so that they don't run away from danger, but they they walk right into what could be a dangerous situation, all for the sake yeah. of, of preaching the gospel. Yeah, the, there's no resistance that's offered by the by the apostles. They, you know, when the captain and his guard show up, um, the apostles didn't resist. You know, they, they could have relied upon the crowd to to stone the to stone the captain and the guard, um, you know, to have them free them and, and maybe whisk them away into secrecy or something like that. But instead, you're exactly right. Um, the apostles go freely, you know, into an awkward situation. You know, who knows what's going to happen? You know, if we stop at 26, who knows what's going to happen to the apostles um, when they go before the council and the high priest? Um, But the fact is, I think, again, this is a wonderful place where we see the this newfound faith um, or at least this, you know, stronger faith that the disciples have that come hell or high water, come who knows what may before the the council were willing to go Mm. the way you asked that question pastor stork i think is really helpful you know who who knows what's going to happen to them at the end of verse 26 and and i think the reason that's a such an important question to consider is because it it does highlight the contrast between the apostles at this point and the the captain as well as all the sanhedrin that the apostles Mm -hmm. are willing to go because they are not afraid of the people they're not dominated by the fear of men rather they're dominated by the fear of god and that's why they're willing to go into the situation that is quite potentially very dangerous to their own physical lives because they're not being governed by the fear of men they're being governed by the fear of god whereas 
on the other hand, and this I think is a part of the irony and, and a bit of the humor in verse 26, is that you've got this captain with the officers who's got some sort of weapons at his disposable, who, mm-hmm. who he's actually there. They don't have the fear of God. And so all they have is the fear of men. And I mean, yeah. it really that question, I think you, as you asked, it really highlights that contrast. Yeah. I, I think we forget that sometimes, you know, when we, when we read through the scriptures so often, you know, we read through it kind of with an understanding of, we know exactly what's going to happen next. But, you know, if you read it through from the perspective of, you know, someone who has never read the texts, whether it's of the Gospels or the Old Testament or Acts, that, you know, we don't necessarily know what's going to take place next. Um, Are the disciples or are the apostles going to be stoned? You know, is a great crowd going to show up and, you know, free them and, and sweep them away? Um, it, it does definitely leave for us as Christians this sense of um, the, the faith that these men, especially here, had, knowing that we know that they already killed our Lord, even though he died, or even though he rose from the dead, there's the distinct possibility that we could all end up dead here. Mm-hmm. Right. But and- we don't know necessarily what's going to happen. Right. And there, but there, and even, even with that, they are not afraid of no. that, of that physical outcome, because I suppose, you know, on the one hand, they don't know what's going to happen to their own physical mm-hmm. lives at this moment. But on the other hand, they do know what's going to happen because yeah. just as their Lord's been raised from the dead, they know that that will happen. Even if they are killed at this moment, they will be raised on the last day. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and that, you know, I, as I'm, as I'm reading here and, and talking about this with you, it, it reminds, I, there's, I wonder a bit of a parallel here with our Lord's own life yet again. And the reason is the role of the angel that's mentioned, you know, in the, in the previous text that the angel came and opened the prison doors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm reminded of, of the way that the Lord speaks during his passion that you know, he tells his disciples when they're ready to, to fight for him in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, you know, don't you know, I could have, I could call a legion of angels and I could get out of this, but he uh-huh. goes on willingly. And, yes. and here it, it seems the apostles have, have it's the light bulbs gone off for them again, the, through the work of mm-hmm. the spirit. Like, Okay, the Lord can send a legion of angels to free us from prison, but we're going to go willingly to proclaim this good news, even if it means death and suffering or suffering and death for us, because that's that's what the Lord has given us to do. And so, I mean, and they like they know <laughs> they don't know, but they know <laughs> at the same yes. time. Yes. Um, yeah, that's I try to remind my congregation of that often is, you know, we don't know as Christians, what each day is going to come about for us, you know, that this could, this could be our last day on earth, whether Jesus comes back or whether, you know, you're driving home from church and you have a car accident and you pass away. And, you know, that we live each day knowing that we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, that in the end, we know what Jesus has promised us, you know, he, he has promised us the resurrection of the dead. He's promised us new life in the new heaven and the new earth. And so we can go about boldly, you know, living our lives, proclaiming the truth of his word, um, you know, carrying out our vocations as we've been called to do. So the apostles have come willingly to be brought before the Sanhedrin. They're standing before the council and the high priest is the one who begins the questioning. Talk a little bit about the question that he asks there in verse 20, or the accusation, I suppose, he makes in verse 28. 
Yeah. So he begins, he, again, we hear those words. He says, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, which I think it's interesting, Pastor Apple, that they don't actually say the name of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. They, they say this name. It's It's almost like they're afraid of the name in a way. Or maybe if we bring up the name of Jesus that, you know, um, maybe something's going to happen. I, I don't know. Yet, you've here, you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man, again, there it is, no mention of the name of Jesus, but this man's blood upon us. Um, you know, you're trying to blame us for what had happened to, to Jesus, you know, at, at his death. Mm. Um, you want to you want to make us out to be the bad guys here, um, that we are the ones that, you know, put Jesus to death, that, you know, we brought him to Pilate and we, you know, made sure everything happened so that Jesus would end up dying on the cross. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you're right to notice that they don't actually use Jesus' name. Uh, Luke does not record that name on their lips. That was something that was there in Acts chapter 4 as well, the last time they had brought Peter and John before. And, and they that was the way they spoke, you know, this name, rather than actually saying, you know, why are you teaching about Jesus? They just, they wouldn't say it. And I think there's something there. The the other the other thing that, that strikes me too is that, in this accusation, it comes across as more personal than theological. They're not, they, they don't seem to be having any kind of a debate with the apostles, at least as St. Luke records it. And it's not to say mm-hmm. that there couldn't have been any of this that he doesn't record, but yeah. as St. Luke records it, there's not anything like, you know, show us from the scriptures that Jesus really is the Christ or something like that. They say, you're blaming us for this. It, it's it's more of a, a personal attack rather than a, a theological debate, which is what maybe you would expect. They're more concerned about you're making us look bad, which I think goes back to the jealousy aspect that you brought at the beginning. That's what they're, that's why they've got him in prison this time is, is less to do with any, upset being so much being upset about the name of Jesus being proclaimed as it is. They're just, they're jealous at this point and they realize almost like their power is starting to slip away or something, something like that. It, it's, it comes a lot across a lot more petty, I think than last time. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. Um, it, it is interesting. The other thing I was thinking about looking at that last um, statement of theirs, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. It reminds me of good Friday. Um, when Jesus is there before Pilate, the the Judean crowds are there, um, you know, calling for Jesus's blood and asking for Barabbas to be released. And, you know, Paul, or not Paul, but Pilate, you know, um, reminds them that Jesus's blood, he doesn't want Jesus's blood on his hands. It's, it's not his fault, ultimately. Um, the fact that the crowd then cries out that Jesus's blood, let his blood be on us and our children. Um, you know, we're the ones who will take the blame for this. And now we have here in verse 28, mm. the council saying, well, you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's kind of that um, tension between the crowd back at Jesus's crucifixion and his trial. And then the tension here of, you know, well, we really didn't have anything 
as a part of that it wasn't our doing to end up seeing jesus being crucified on the tree yeah um, even though the crowds back then stirred up by the the council you know basically said let jesus's life be on us yeah. and our kids yeah no that that kind of that walking back of that a little bit I, I don't know i hadn't really picked up on that but at the and at the same time you know that this man's blood would be upon them that's the whole point mm-hmm. of jesus and you know that's that's yes. part of the great irony of both of what we got here and of course what you're bringing out in the passion story but we do need to take our break here on sharper iron you're listening to kfuo this morning we're looking at acts chapter five with pastor tim stork we'll be right back please stick around Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, May 6th. We're studying Acts chapter 5, verses 21b through 42 with Pastor Tim Stork. He serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield Township, Michigan. Pastor Stork, prior to the break, we were talking about the accusation leveled by the high priest. The apostles intend to bring the blood of Jesus upon them. Of course, he won't mention Jesus. This gives Peter and the apostles a chance once again to proclaim the good news of Jesus. They start, Peter's words start there with some words I think are pretty famous, although we often, I think, take them out of the the full context of what Peter says here. We must obey God rather than men. Help Help us to understand those words within the context of what Peter's doing in this brief sermon we get here in Acts 5. Well, when we look at these words, we have to remember what the apostles are not being allowed to do, um, and that is preaching the truth of God's word. Um, that they have continually be told by the the Sadducees and the council not to preach, um, and that as we've seen several times now, back in Acts Acts chapter four, and now in Acts chapter five, that. God's word is not to be bound, um, that God's word is to be taught. And there is a charge to the apostles that they are to do the things of God. They are to proclaim his word um, in even in spite of what men, whether it's the, the chief priests or whether it's the council or the, the Sanhedrin, um, the Sadducees, or, or even the Romans, um, want them to do or not want them to do. Right. And, and in this case, the what they don't want them to do very specifically is to not proclaim the name of Jesus. Now, it, it, Peter does that right here and there, right here and now. I mean, you know, we must obey God rather than men. So let me do that right now by proclaiming Jesus. This is a brief sermon as Luke records it. How does Peter proclaim the good news of Jesus in verses 30 through 32? Yes. So Peter takes them back to the Old Testament in a way. He says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. 
Um, well, who is the God of their fathers? Well, if Abraham is their father, then it is the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God. Um, he is the God that you believe and trust in as the council and the high priest. He's the one that has raised Jesus. And then again, he reminds them that this Jesus is the one that you killed by hanging him on a tree. Uh, of course, it's not just, you know, the, the high priest that put him there, but it's the fact that, you know, you are the ones who actively worked to make the system go where Pilate would end up having to have Jesus crucified, as well as, and, and most importantly, of course, the, the sins of mankind are the things that put him on the tree um, by his father's work. And then he goes on to remind us, though, that God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give to repentance of Israel and forgiveness of sins, um, that God has raised him up, that um, God exalted him at his right hand, as we confess in the, in the creeds, um, in the Apostles' Creed, that he sits at the right hand of God um, as not only the leader, because, again, Jesus is the one who has the authority. All authority has been given to Jesus. Um, Pilate could not do what he did without authority from Jesus. Um, the, the leaders of, of men cannot do what they want without Jesus. And that not only is he the leader, but he's also the Savior. And I would say that that's the more important he is not only the leader, but the Savior, the one who has saved us from our sins, who has not only given repentance to Israel, but also the gift of forgiveness of sins. And then, of course, at the very end of this, Peter reminds them that we, the apostles, who are standing here right in front of you, are witnesses to these things. Um, and not just us, but the Holy Spirit. So they have, technically, what they need to have. They have two or three witnesses that speak to Jesus' resurrection from the dead, whom God has given to those who obey him, that those who believe and trust in Christ are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah, and, and in that preaching then, which is the good news, and I mean, you know, I, I love how Peter specifically says to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This is what the Lord had opened his apostles' minds to understand after Easter when he, he showed them what the scriptures are all about, that it's all about his death and resurrection, and it is for the purpose of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And it's as if, I think Peter is, is telling these men, it's for you. Right now, you don't have it, you know, you mm -hmm. because you, you you don't have it because you don't believe in him. It is for you, though. And so even as you know, these words are as I, I think about the sermons we've heard already in the book of Acts, there's a lot of things that are familiar here. Peter preaches very similarly in other places. Uh, but again, that that for you of this sermon, I think, is what what stands out to me. And particularly as we as we'll keep reading, uh, they're not going to respond in faith. They're going to respond in anger to this. And I think at least that's how I, I see this tying into the their reaction is they they recognize Peter's telling them, you don't have it right now. You, you could, right? It is for you. I want you to, you should believe, but right now you're on the outside looking in. And I think, I think that's where their anger is going to come from. 
Yeah, I, I'd agree. They, you know, when you go into verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. I, I wonder too, if, you know, if the, if the faith of the council and the high priest was based more so not only on their bloodline with Abraham, um, which Jesus mentions a couple of times in the Gospels, but also upon, you know, their faithfulness on their good works. And if Peter here is telling them, which he is, that it's Jesus who gives you repentance and forgiveness, it's not based on your works. It's not based on your bloodline. And it's, you know, it's like going up to a person and, and saying, you know, unfortunately, because of your, you know, your good works, your good works don't save you. Mm-hmm. It, it's the blood of Jesus that does. And, you know, having, you know, that, that you know, I, personally, I don't know what that conversation is like, at least from my standpoint, but, you know, having witnessed folks that, you share the gospel it's like you're not saved by works you're saved by grace Mm. and sometimes the reaction is anger it's like what do you mean i'm not saved by what i do yeah yeah no i mean that's the that's the the surprise of the gospel or the offense of the gospel jesus talks Mm -hmm. about it as a a stumbling block i I reminded of what we talked about the the text in acts 2 of the on the day of pentecost that you know people were mocking what was being said the uh, Pastor Goodman, who was our guest that day, mentioned, you know, it's it's not just the the speaking in tongues that was causing their confusion, but it was what was being preached, that it's salvation in Christ alone apart from your works. That's That doesn't make sense to people. And, mm-hmm. and here we see that that doesn't make sense to the Sanhedrin and their reaction is going to be anger. But that and, and this is where this this now there's going to be uh, perhaps a surprising source as we'll put an end or at least quiet their anger for a time. So let's keep reading here in Acts chapter five. We're picking up the text now in verse 33. When they heard this, when they heard Peter's sermon, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thuidus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's the rest of our text for today. That takes us through the end of Acts chapter 5. So, Pastor Stork, there's the rage that comes from the preaching. But then Gamaliel, who is said to be a Pharisee and a teacher of the law, he stands up. Tell us about uh, what we know about this man. 
Well, there's not a whole lot that we know about him, um, but there are a few things. One is the fact that Gamaliel was probably the greatest teacher of the day. Um, he was a disciple of Hillel, um, and he was a, a leader of that school of Hillel within the Pharisees. Um, there is one disciple in particular that Gamaliel taught, um, Saul of Tarsus. Um, so, you know, when Saul or later Paul, you know, speaks about having been taught, you know, by the greatest teachers, um, that he is a Jew of Jews, you know, it's, it's at the feet of Gamaliel that Paul was taught. And of course, you know, here with Gamaliel, he is of such renown that when he stands up, um, and he's not just held in renown by the council, but in honor by all the people, that they're going to listen to him. Mm. Um, you know, it's not kind of one of these situations where Gamaliel gets up and kind of gives the suggestion. No, I'm sure that there was a hush that fell over the the whole council. Um, when he got up to speak. Hmm. Yeah, he, he's the kind of guy that if, if he stands up and wants to say something, you'd let him say something. And, yes. and so he 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 lets every, he lets he wants everyone else to leave. He just wants the audience of the, the council for a little while so that he can speak to them. And he addresses them very formally and, and gives them caution. He brings up two examples of, of recent memory. Tell us a little bit about these examples. If, if we know anything beyond what Luke records for us here and and most importantly, the purpose of Gamaliel bringing up these two examples. Yeah, so the the first example that he brings up is um, the example of Theodos, who claimed to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, ended up joining him. Um, we don't necessarily know what he claimed um, for himself. Um, we really don't have a lot of information on Theodos, even though it may have been around the time of Herod the Great um, when when he was rising up. But the thing is, is after Theodos rose up, he had gathered 400 people with him or 400 men. Theodos was killed and everyone who followed him left. They all departed from him. Um, and his teaching, whatever it was, didn't go anywhere. It, it just died out with, with the crowd that had gathered around him. Um, the second example that Gamaliel gives is um, Judas the Galilean, who rose up in the days of census, which most likely is a little bit of a later census than in the census that brought Mary and Joseph and the unborn baby Jesus to um, to Bethlehem when Jesus was born. And Judas the Galilean, again, he rose up, drew some people after him, and then the same exact thing happens. He dies, and the people who follow him ended up scattering, whether it was for fear, whether it was because, you know, their leader was gone and now they had no, you know, um, leader in the midst of them to, to kind of hold them all together, um, but they all eventually scattered. And so then in verse 38, 
Gamaliel goes on, he says, in this present case, I tell you, keep away from them, let them alone, because if this plan is just of men, like Judas and Theodos, then eventually it's going to come to nothing. Hmm. Nothing's going to happen. Um, you know, eventually the disciples will tire, a few of them may end up killed, and then the rest of them will realize, oh my gosh, you know, we could lose our lives for this. We might as well quit preaching the name of Jesus because we love our lives more than we love Jesus, essentially. Um, but that if it is of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. Um, no matter all of the tools in your arsenal, no matter you know how many times you lock them up in jail, no matter how many of them you kill, no matter how many laws or rules you try to enforce on these believers of Jesus, you're not going to be able to stop the proclamation of the gospel. That's good advice. I mean, you know, even just from a, well, I suppose you can't say it entirely an earthly perspective because he does bring in, in the matter of, of God into the, into his advice, but it is good advice. It, it makes, it makes good sense. And it, it comes from at least in my initial reading of it from a surprising place. Wait, one of the, one of the council is going to, to stand up and give this advice. Although as I, as I read it and, and given what you said earlier, I, I kind of wonder if, how sympathetic Gamaliel may be to the apostles and and even what they're preaching and what what kind of clues me in on this a little bit is that so far and this has really been true mostly in acts is that luke has highlighted the role of the sadducees in the sanhedrin and their opposition to what the apostles are teaching which is true their opposition is is twofold they don't believe in jesus and they don't particularly like the resurrection of the dead either And, Mm -hmm. and so they've they've been opposed to to Jesus, of course, and now to the apostles preaching him. Luke now mentions Gamaliel by name and is very quick to point out he's a Pharisee. And in the the two examples that Gamaliel gives, he mentions that both of these men, they died. As in, they're not alive. They're not raised from the dead. Now, of course, I mean, and, and it, nowhere does Gamaliel give us any solid evidence of what he does or doesn't believe about Jesus. But, mm-hmm. but given the way he talks about the two examples that he brings up and the way he uses them, I kind of wonder if, if he's at least, you know, he, it sounds like he's been listening to what the apostles have been saying and is at least willing to entertain as a Pharisee who does believe in the resurrection of the dead that maybe the apostles are preaching something true. I don't know. I, I kind of wonder if that's what if that's maybe in the background here of what Gamaliel's saying. If there's some inkling in his mind that the Spirit has put there that the apostles are are preaching rightly here. I don't know. What do you think? I I hadn't thought about it up until now, but I I would agree. Um, you know the the fact that the resurrection of the dead had been preached throughout the Old Testament, and and Gamaliel, of course, being the the greatest leader of the time, um, teacher of the time, would have known his, uh, of course, known his Torah and the Old Testament well. Um, and so maybe there is this inkling in the back of his mind or in his heart somewhere that says, you know, maybe this Jesus has been raised from the dead. You know, we haven't been able to find his body. Um the apostles don't really seem to be 
willing to back down at this point um you know maybe there is maybe there is some truth to what i to what they're proclaiming right it's almost like he's he's not just talking to the group that's anger angered at the apostles but he's almost talking to himself here i mean and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know i don't want to read too much into it and again I, I can't say these things precisely but given that the pharisees do believe in the resurrection of the dead and combined with the way gamaliel talks about these two men died and we know it mm-hmm. and, and if this thing is from god we're not going to be able to stop it. it it's almost like he's he's talking to himself a little bit here again, whether or not that's exactly the case, I, I can't say for sure, but I, I wonder about it in, in either way though, they listen to him uh, because as we said, it, it's good advice that he gives. So mm-hmm. in, at the end of verse 39, they listen to him, although they're not quite done with the apostles. Take us into the, the way this text closes out in, well, the way that their time before the council ends in verses 40 and into 41. Yeah. So after Gamaliel gives his um, makes his speech, they they take his advice. Luke Luke very clearly states that they took his advice, um, and when they called in the apostles again, they they beat them. Um, it's almost like the the council was going to get their pound of flesh one way or another. Um, yeah. Whether they were going to throw them back into prison, which they realized that's not going to work mm. because. They're going to end up getting out and and preaching as they've already seen twice now in, in the book of Acts. Um, or, or, you know, other preachers are going to reach uh, are going to, to be risen up. Um, and, and so they they beat them hmm. uh, and and then go on to, again, charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. Um, and then the apostles leave the presence of the council. And, and I love, I've always loved this when I, when I read this in verse 40, 41, they rejoice that they were counted worthy mm. to suffer dishonor for the name. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know what that looks like. Um, you know, reading about some of the, the early martyrs in the church, how, Many of them would sing or they would offer prayers to God in thanksgiving for their life and for, you know, the opportunity to have been brought to the faith. I wonder if the disciples, as they're leaving the council, are, you know, singing at the top of their lungs one of, you know, maybe one of the one of the Psalms or another piece of of scripture um, that they were counted to be worthy to suffer dishonor for the name um that we're worthy to to be beaten and to be imprisoned for jesus mm. and then we find out in verse 42 it doesn't stop them every day That's right. every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching jesus as the christ mm. yeah yeah no it's it's not going to stop them just as it it didn't stop them previously so it it won't stop them here this this matter you know their joy in being counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name i i wonder if it if we could tie it into what jesus said to his disciples as he talked about what it meant for him to be the christ that you know he had to suffer and die and rise 
And then he told them what it means to be a disciple means to, you know, to daily pick up the cross and to follow him. That, that the disciples rejoice because they realize that this, what I would say is a promise of the Lord now is being made manifest in their lives. They realize, yes, here, here we are with the cross that our Lord has given and we're following him. And that, despite what, I mean, the world certainly would look at this and think, how could you rejoice to suffer? But the disciples, mm-hmm. it, it's perfectly, I mean, it fits perfectly for them because they know this is what Jesus had said and they recognize it as as evidence within their lives. We are disciples of Jesus. He's he's acting according to his promise. And so we're going to rejoice because he's showing us that we're his disciples. Yeah. Uh, and I think the other thing here too is the fact that they're, they're that joy again is counted worthy to suffer dishonor for, for Jesus, for the name. Um, you know, they're not just, rejoicing for the sake of rejoicing but they're rejoicing you know for for that preaching for jesus um you know i I remind our congregation at times that you know we don't rejoice because you know something bad has happened to us or that you know the these types of things occur in our lives but that there is a difference between rejoicing for suffering for the name of Jesus and just rejoicing for the sake of suffering. Um, the, here it is for the rejoicing for Jesus, Hmm. um, that we do take up our cross and, and follow him. Hmm. Right. Right. It's not just, we're not happy that bad things are happening to us, but rather we're, we're joyful that the proclamation of our Lord Jesus Christ continues to go out into this world, even when it means suffering for us, that, and, that, and then that we are included among those who have heard that good news, who have believed that good news, and, and who receive the fruit of that good news, which is eternal life in this Savior, Jesus Christ. And so they, they go out and they keep teaching, no matter what they've been told, they do not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And so it continues in the church to this day. Pastor Tim Stork is pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield Township, Michigan, helping us today with Acts chapter 5, verses 21b to 42. Pastor Stork, thanks for being our guest today. Well, thank you, Pastor Apple. It's good to be with you, and a happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is, he is risen, risen indeed. Hallelujah. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Got any questions about Acts chapter 5? Send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.